0: This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
1: G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the Country Hour. Good to be back. Making rural news today is that China has banned another Aussie abattoir from exporting beef.
2: This is the ninth plant in Australia to have lost its licence. only the third one though related to this type of uh, suspension.
1: Yeah this is T's Abattoir in Narra Court it has bowed out. What does it mean for the cattle industry? We'll talk about this in a moment And how about the Crown Point Pastoral Company? It's had its checkbook out and about it's taken a big slice of S and Co. It's also bought the Phoenix Park feedlot near Catherine. I'll be telling you more about this deal in a moment and before one30 We travel to a crocodile farm in the Territory, which is very busy at the moment welcoming new arrivals.
3: Oh, they're like little needles at the moment, um, but thankfully they don't have a lot of jaw power. So if they do bite you, it doesn't really hurt.
1: We've got a snappy show for you today. Hope you can stick around. We're broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC We are streaming online. today. there if you are tuning in via the podcast. Massive thanks to Dan Fitzgerald and Stephen Schubert for looking after the program while I was on school holidays. And I tell you what, there's been plenty going on. Very wet in the last week or so across many parts of the Northern Territory. There's been flooding and, of course, plenty of issues with supply chains. Roads have been cut. The rail line closed. And of course, the big headlines, supermarket shelves in the Territory looking very, very empty. Our guest this afternoon is Louise Bellado from the NT Road Transport Association to provide us with the latest information on supply chains. Thank you so much for your time, Louise.
4: Thank you for having me, Matt.
1: Uh, what is the latest in terms of trucks being able to get supplies into the Territory?
4: Well, good news, actually. Um, with the Barkley still open, thankfully, uh, we have had four triples arrive today. They've gone the long way around from Adelaide. Um, I think they did drop off um, trailers in Katherine yesterday. Uh, we've got two triples of um, uh, perishables and uh, foodstuffs that uh, left on Saturday from Adelaide, should be here tomorrow. Uh, one left last night and will be here on Wednesday and there'll be four triples that uh, left Adelaide today that should be here by Thursday. Uh, there's a triple road train arriving in Alice Springs this afternoon, and there should be a number of triples uh, arriving in Alice Springs by the uh, later in the week as well. So what um, equipment that they've got back into Adelaide, they've turned around very quickly and have got them back on the road. Uh, The tricky thing, though, is because it's an extra two days of um, travelling time, Mm. Uh, you know, travelling through the back of New South Wales, you know, the maximum speed is 90 kilometres an hour. It's rough roads. There's a lot of small townships that they have to slow down at. It's nothing like the line hall work that, um, you know, ABC and Gilberts usually do. um, adelaide to alice to darwin um, it's a very different uh, ball game at the moment
1: so for territorians who had that experience over the last couple of days of going to the supermarket and having slim pickings in front of them when do you expect that story to change
4: well, I think probably as early as tomorrow afternoon, by the time they can start distributing. But we also know that um, a number of uh, Brisbane-based operators have been uh, given additional, uh, you know, work requirements from uh, one of the retailers to move. Um, food stocks from Brisbane across, so there's probably an extra um, dozen triple uh, road trains coming from Brisbane with uh, foodstuffs this week as well. Um, I do know that um, uh, a number of them arrived yesterday too, so that will start to trickle through. But I mean, we, we do rely on the um, the rail for some of our um, you know dry goods. Um,
1: mm.
4: which needs to be moved as well um, by trucks. And it is, you know, an extra 3,000-odd 3, kilometres that they're doing. And as I said, we're just hoping that the the rain events that we've been seeing don't um, uh, block the, the Barclay.
1: What are you hearing about the Barclay? I saw some pictures and videos this morning, very wet out there.
4: Yes, yes, um, and uh, fortunately, uh, there there was some um, delays on Saturday afternoon. Um, I know trucks were um, stopped for about five hours at at one point, but uh, at this moment, uh, the road is still open, and uh, on Thursday night, there were trucks that were stopped for, I think, uh, up to 12 hours uh, between Ilfracombe and uh, Longreach where there's a, a low-lying section because they had that rain come through. But uh, we've also got the problem over in Western Australia and with a lot more rain to come, so that Perth-Darwin route is uh, looking very
1: precarious. And That Great Northern Highway over in the Kimberley, how important that, is that for the Northern Territory? Um
4: uh, General freight, very important. And obviously, for our mines, um, it's, you know, where uh, a lot of the oversize over mass um, equipment that uh, comes out of Western Australia through the Territory and into Queensland, as well as, as vice versa, um, that's I- important. Um, for um, our fruit and veggies, not quite as important coming up, mm-hmm. but uh, still, they were r- rerouting. Um, uh, or taking some food stocks north that way last week because of the um, Stuart Highway being closed, but uh, six trucks did move last night um, through 800 mils of water. I'm told um, uh, simply to um, assist them not to um, you know be stuck at Fitzroy Crossing coming north.
1: If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour, and this afternoon we are speaking to Louise Bellado from the NT Road Transport Association, getting the latest information on supply chains and trying to get crucial supplies and food into the Northern Territory. Uh, I've just received a note here from the Department of Infrastructure. This might be old news to you, Louise, but it will be fresh to, to many in our audience. Uh, the note here says the Barclay Highway, water over road, open with Restrictions. It's got the Barclay Highway remains open. Motorists should proceed with caution for the entirety of the highway due to water over the road. The floodway crossing near Sedan Station currently only open to high-clearance four-wheel drives.
4: Yes, which is fortunately a description of trucks as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, yep. Mm. Um, the Stuart Highway, what's your understanding on when it will be open in its entirety?
4: yeah tricky. Um, hard to tell. So uh, um, a fleet went through on Saturday under escort uh, to test the pavement, um and that was you know two uh, triple road trains that actually delivered food to Cooper Pedy. Uh they were amongst that group, but um, there's still about a kilometre of uh, water that's got four hundred and seventy mils over the pavement, and uh, that kilometre stretch includes five culverts and uh, the concern is what the state of those culverts is and, um, you know, whether they could withstand, um, you know, heavy vehicles on there um, until the water goes down. They actually, uh, you know, don't know, so that's why they're being cautious. Uh, As I understand it, the um, South Australian uh, government was looking at drainage solutions because, you know, it, it is a swamp and there's nowhere for that water to drain um, by itself and it just sits there. So it's it's come down very little in the last 36 hours, um, you know, through evaporation only. So to try and, and facilitate that process, that's what they're looking at uh, today. Um, but the question is, is if there is a lot of um, damage underneath the pavement, then it will be longer to actually have it open. And the other tricky thing is what's happening with the weather as it comes down mm. in that direction because, yeah, a lot more is is anticipated.
1: Yeah, the wet season is delivering. Um, Rightio, well, th- we really appreciate the update this afternoon, Louise, and keeping us informed. Thanks so much for that.
4: Thanks for your time, Matt. <laughs> appreciate
1: Thanks. it. That is Louise Bellotto who is from the NT Road Transport Association. You are tuned into the Country Hour. It is 20 to 1. Matt Brand with you this afternoon. Now, meanwhile, in South Australia, have you heard this? The Defence Force has been called in to fly essential food supplies into Cooper Pedy. They're getting the planes out. Uh, poor old Cooper Pedy has been cut off since last week because of this flooding. A RAF plane left Adelaide this morning with about 20 tonnes of essentials like milk and meat on board. Army Brigadier Graham Goodwin says it's the first of many that will be flown into cooper pedy to help out the community
5: there'll be a number of uh, rotations today uh, at least 4 uh, and at least two uh, more rotations tomorrow yeah. uh, and and then you know that's that's the initial uh, plan and then it'll be assessed from there
6: what are you delivering
5: all different types and quantities of, of uh, foodstuffs, perishable uh, and non perishable, I, I believe. But in relation to the food side of the house, I mean, we leave that very much to the planners for and who are in very close contact with the local uh, supermarket and suppliers up in, in Cooper Pedi. So uh, we, we're the delivery mechanism, uh, but we're very happy to assist in this regard.
2: Okay, and that should be arriving in Cooper Pedi when?
5: It's a very good plane. It's a very, it's a fast plane. So I expect early in the afternoon. And as I say, there's going to be uh, four plane loads go up at least today. Look, we um, we've been uh, working with the SES now for probably the last three or four days from a planning point of view. So we are in support of of our state emergency services uh, and we assist uh, where and when we can. And, you know, I sit on all the briefs and I listen to all of the information that comes out and Cooper PD and the people in those regional areas has been uppermost uh, in, in those briefs going forward.
1: That's Army Brigadier Graham Goodwin speaking this morning to David Bevan on ABC Radio in Adelaide, the Defence Force. Flying food into Cooba Petey. I'd reckon there's a few remote communities around the north that wouldn't mind a food drop, all three.
7: Yeah, and my name's Nick Ferker from Road Trains of Australia, and I've just unloaded here at the Barrymore Export Yard. And when I'm cruising along, I always tune into the country hour. Yeah.
1: Uh, we are hoping to get an update from the major supermarkets, Woolworths and Coles, about their situations in the Northern Territory. If that comes to hand over the next hour, I'll make sure we share it with you. Now, Alan Revel, he runs the Renner Springs Roadhouse on the Stuart Highway between Elliot and Tennant Creek. As you can imagine, over the last few days with all of these road closures, it's been pretty quiet at Renner Springs.
8: Alan had a chat to our reporter, Max Rowley. Our volumes are right down uh, on traffic. Um, the Stuart Highway is the only uh, road north, of course, um, at this point, and uh, it's um, yeah, quite uh, strange to have no traffic on the road. Uh, a little bit of local traffic, but just from the local community seems to be all we're getting. Um, How about trucks? About... There's a road train is uh, one at the fuel Bowers and one local, but they're both uh, uh, local station cattle trucks, I
7: think. Right. So you haven't, you're not seen as many of those those trucks coming from interstate. Uh, the the road trains delivering goods to to supermarkets.
8: Uh, that's right. There's no uh, the deliveries are way way down on uh, where they should be. Um, Tennant Creek. Uh, Seems to be uh, suffering a loss in not just the usual supermarket stuff, but um, it's short on uh, all sorts of uh, your usual goods from agents to chemists to uh, right across the board. Um, there's uh, there's um, it's feeling the pinch. Um, for our from our point of view, where the restaurants open at the moment, and uh, yeah, there's uh, probably a third of the meal items that we just can't uh, provide because uh, uh, we're just not getting the deliveries.
7: And how many road trains do you usually have passing through there, Alan?
8: Um, On a Sunday, it's uh, common for uh, 20 to 25 uh, road trains to pull up and have breakfast. Uh, It's uh, a fairly common meeting point uh, for truckies to sit down and have breakfast and a bit of a yarn. Um, This morning, I didn't have... uh, any of note, there might have been a couple of trucks uh, come past, but uh, yeah the, the the whole volume's down we've got um, uh, two truck uh, truck stop areas at Renner springs, and uh, uh, normally they're full about this time of the night uh, you know any night uh, but tonight um, uh, there's not we're not one road train inside other than uh, the local cattle truck. Uh,
7: we heard of some uh, road trains that had been taking, trying to take the long route around from South Australia through New South Wales and Queensland last week, late last week. On Friday, a few were, were stuck in, in long reach, but were hoping to get through. Did you have many of those road trains? Have you seen many road trains on Friday or Saturday?
8: Um, they must uh, get released in runs because I... I I believe the, the uh, highways marked um, proceed with caution, but still, it seems uh, uh, that when you do see them, there's um, between three and five trucks seem to come to, through together uh, uh, heading north. Uh, if they stop for fuel, are always pointing out that they're three or four days behind on their schedule and they're uh, a bit panicky. But um, I've also had uh, uh, radio uh, had uh, phone-ins from truck drivers that have uh, tried to come up through the centre. They turned around, there's a lot of water between Cooper Pedy and Glen Dambo. They get turned back to Peter and then head across to uh, Broken Hill up the, through Queensland uh, and onto the Barclay and coming in that way. But now that the uh, Camoil uh, area has been compromised, um, the recent reports are that there's testing going on on the highway to see if uh, if the water's got underneath the highway and, uh, and therefore uh, rendered it not safe for uh, road trains. So uh, they're eagerly awaiting the outcome of that, although some uh, have uh, given up the idea and sent the drivers uh, back to Adelaide to uh, unload and await further reports on the highway.
7: Just lastly, how is the country looking there with this rain that's come through? What's it looking like at the moment?
8: I think it's absolutely beautiful at the moment. Um, it certainly is green. The um, the gardeners are flat out uh, with the lawnmowers uh, keeping things going. You- you can hear the peacocks in the background and the bright blue peacocks against the, the uh, lush green lawn. It really creates a, a pretty scene. It's very pretty here at the moment.
1: That's Alan there at the Renner Springs Roadhouse sort of halfway between Elliott and Tennant Creek. Right across the territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. It is 13 to 1. Up next, we'll be talking about the Crown Point Pastoral Company, which owns... A lot of cattle country in Central Australia. And in the last few months, it has had the checkbook out. I'll tell you more about that after a tune by The Beatles. We can work it out. The Beatles, you are tuned into The Country Hour on ABC. My name is Matt Bran. And I've just seen a lovely little video of the mighty Todd River flowing in the Alice. G'day to everyone in the Alice this afternoon. I know the old supermarket shelves have been a bit bare, but a flow in the Todd always puts a smile on the dial. How lovely, hey? How lovely. I'm sure the ABC Alice Springs Facebook page will be littered with all kinds of good pictures and videos very soon. The mighty Todd. How many times has the Todd flown? In the last three months or so. The almost record stuff, I would have thought. Almost record stuff. It's 10 minutes to one o'clock. The Crown Point Pastoral Company. Now, it owns cattle stations in central Australia like New Crown and, and Dado. And at the moment, gee, it is busy expanding the empire. We have confirmation this week that the company has entered into contracts with S. Kidman & Co. to buy Inaminka Station and Macumba Station in South Australia. It's also got out the chequebook to buy the 20,000 head feedlot Phoenix Park, which is near Catherine. Now, Crown Point Pastoral, it's owned by the Oldfield and Costello families, and in recent months, has also bought Ruby Plains and Sturt Creek Station in the Kimberley from Gina Reinhardt's Hancock Agriculture. So it's been a big few months for Crown Point Pastoral. Elders Executive General Manager of Real Estate, Tom Russo, says the two SA cattle stations were actually not a part of the original offering made by Gina Reinhardt.
9: Genuinely at the start they were not on the market and um, it it almost happened organically through the process. You know, we we were speaking to dozens and dozens of of interested buyers in the Hancock portfolio and and as quite often happens a number of them expressed interest in properties outside the portfolio, a bit cheeky just to see what, what could happen and Inaminka and Macumba certainly received a lot of attention from a number of buyers and um, as a result of that um, our client ended up deciding to to run a short off-market process with a couple of well-qualified parties to see um, what the outcome of that would be and, and in the end an acceptable offer was made and it was sold so it just happened through the course of discussions um, with a number of parties and um, the, the vendor in the end um, deciding to um, allow a process to occur.
10: These are huge properties. Inaminka is 1.3 million hectares. Macumba is 1.1 million hectares. How much did they sell for?
9: <laughs> I knew you'd ask that question. So unfortunately, I, I really couldn't, couldn't say what any of the properties transacted for. Those those um, prices are commercial and confidence. What I will say is that I think this sale should flag to the broader industry just how confident they should be and... and uh, particularly in, in the value of their asset. I think the seasonal conditions, the high commodity prices, um, the level of interest that we received l- was really extraordinary. And I think the prices, whilst fair, uh, uh, still reflect a, a very healthy outcome um, for the vendor. And I think that just reflects the ongoing confidence in the industry.
10: And I understand that Inaminka and Macumber were a part of the S. Kidman & Co. properties that Hancock Agriculture acquired in 2016. But since then, uh, a number of those properties have been sold off. And I understand that this sale marks the last of the S. Kidman & Co. properties in South Australia being sold off. How significant is that from a historical point of view?
9: Oh, well, look, i probably confess that I'm not a real student of history, but um, clearly there, there's a huge, huge and long and proud history from, from S. Kidman in, in building that portfolio. I think there are still there is still the Tungali Feedlot asset in South Australia, and Kidman still have their office here. Um, I'm based out of Adelaide. I would say that it's probably significant in the context of the history of S. Kidman and Co. But I think in terms of the history of these properties, gee, what a wonderful outcome to see some some Australian family enterprises step up and buy these assets.
10: And and that's I believe that all of these properties have been bought by Australian interests.
9: Yep. That's right. I think when, when we first took on this project and started working with Hancock on it, our very clear instructions from the most senior people at Hancock was that the, the process needed to be structured in a way that allowed all categories of buyers to participate. And by that, I mean, you know, we could have gone down a process of just offering the assets in one line, which probably would have ruled out, you know, a lot of local operators and would have seen, you know, really played into the hands of, you yeah, multinational fund managers and so on. And whilst we very much welcomed their interest and they, and they did participate in the process, you know, our vendor was very clear that they wanted to ensure that all interested parties would be given the opportunity to do so. And, and as it panned out, you know, it was, it was really wonderful to see local industry operators really step up and expand their enterprises and, and acquire the assets
10: in total, about three point seven eight million hectares have changed hands. Now that is roughly the size of Bhutan. So this is a huge amount of land that has been sold. What is the future for Hancock Agriculture given this this huge sell-off of property?
9: Yeah, look, it, it is a massive piece of land, and no one's going to deny that. And, and a huge transaction. But when you look at it um, in the context of Hancock Agriculture's broader portfolio, you know it. it Yes, there's a lot of land that's been sold, but in terms of their beef production capacity, they're still one of the largest um, beef producers in Australia. They're still acquiring properties. Um, They've recently acquired another property in Queensland, and I know that that they very much have a strategy of continuing to build out their portfolio, um, particularly, albeit not exclusively, down the eastern seaboard. Um, So there is absolutely no intention to, to exit um, it, it's just the right time for them to sell these particular assets and they continue to reallocate capital into agriculture and, and and keep keep building the business. And I think there's no bigger sign that they continue to do so than you know, the recent appointment of John McKillop as the new CEO of, of Hancock Agriculture.
1: That's Tom Russo from Elders speaking to Cassie Huff, Crown Point Pastoral Company, buying a lot of country at the moment. You can read more about these station deals up online if you search for NT Country Hour. Now, Northern Territory Senator Sam McMahon has this morning put out a press release confirming that she has resigned as a member of the Country Liberal Party. In that statement, she said it had not been an easy decision and it brings to an end a 30-year association with the CLP. Now, in her statement, she said... I feel I no longer have the confidence in the CLP and there are a number of unresolved issues beyond the pre-selection. She said these issues include formal complaints lodged with management committee that have not garnered a response, let alone an acknowledgement. ABC Radio this morning had a chat to CLP President Jamie DeBrenny about Sam McMahon's decision and what it actually means for the CLP going forward. This was his response.
11: Honestly, if you look at the media and everything like that, it's no surprise. Um, you know, we've got to respect. Um, you know, Sam has taken time to decide what her future is, and it looks like it's not outside of politics. She still wants to be involved. And um, you know, it's her choice. We, you know, we've got to respect with that as well. She's made her choice. We now have the opportunity. We've got fantastic candidates to put up, move forward with, promote, and put proper, you know, the representation of the CLP back in uh, Canberra.
2: But how many paid <clears throat> members of the political party do you have? Because this is a sticking point. There has been changes in no, the look, legislation. No, no, no,
11: no, 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 no. The changes to the legislation for new parties in the panel. I've said this on this radio before, Joe. You'll back this up. Under our constitution, we have an Affiliation Act that links with the National Party's Affiliation and Association Act that's been in place since 1979 that under our legal advice and everything through Federals, through the Nationals, through the people that actually developed the policy, says that we're well within our rights.
2: So, but given there are no, now no CLP (laughs) members sitting in the coalition Mm -hmm. government, can you still call yourself the Cultural Liberal Party as a faction of the National Party, you can?
11: Yes, yes, And as the CLP is an independent, we can call us with association with the Nationals. Now, look, you know, with that, you've got to look at the other side, is, and with Sam and her organisation and where she's going, this puts us in the position where, you know, the Sam's can use now her taxpayer-funded uh, means to fight her campaign. You know what I mean?
4: Is yep. it sour grapes now on her part to
11: no. pack up oh, and no. take her bat and ball and go home and go sit somewhere else outside I'm of the not, party? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to lower it to that standard. It's a decision that's made by Sam. We've got to respect that as a party. We're not going to go to that level and say this and that and you mm. know, the accusations you should be out there bagging people. What's that accomplish? We've got to respect that that's the future she wants to take, right? And we've got a damn battle to fight with fantastic candidates and we'll take it on.
1: That's Jamie DeBrenny, who is the president of the Country Liberal Party, speaking this morning to the ABC's Adam Steer and Joe Laverty, Territory Senator Sam McMahon, confirming that she has resigned as a member of the Country Liberal Party. Now, we've got to go to the newsroom, but in five minutes' time, having a chat to the weather bureau and there's plenty to talk about there's flood warnings in the barkley there's a severe weather warning out for parts of the top end heaps going on so stick around i'll catch you in
8: five yeah g'day it's greg owens here uh recently retired from nt farmers but still hoping to be a big part of our farming community in the north and you're listening to the nt country hour
1: Matt Brown with you this afternoon. Good to be back. Big thanks to Steve Schubert and Dan Fitzgerald for looking after the program while I was on school holidays. I did a little bit of work on the school holidays, just a little bit. Went along to a crocodile farm in the Top End, which was welcoming its first arrivals for 2022. It is that time of the year where croc farms are watching those eggs crack open and the baby crocs are coming out. I'll take you to that farm before one thirty. Oh yeah, and making rural news today is that China has suspended yet another Australian abattoir from exporting beef.
2: This is the ninth plant in Australia to have lost its licence. The Only the third one though related to this type of a uh, Suspension.
1: Yeah, so the abattoir at Court has lost its licence there to China. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Rebecca Patrick is there this afternoon. How are you, Beck?
0: Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Matt.
1: Well, that's the go. There's lots to talk about here. There's a bit going on. Uh, first of all, the rainfall figures for the weekend period, the 72 hours. What are some of the, the big totals?
0: Yeah, so I guess across the north where we've had those monsoonal conditions, um, particularly the Darwin area has seen a number of locations uh, receiving over 100 millimetres in those three days. Um, So, for example, uh, East Arm 148, uh, Nucky Lagoon with 129 Um, Howard River, 144 millimetres, so, yeah, some good rainfall around the Darwin area. Um, Probably not quite so much as you head further inland um, across the top end. uh, um, Labelle with 63, um, uh, yeah, so those kind of um, lower numbers as we head Inland Adelaide River Station, 60. Um, it's probably a couple of the highest ones. Mm. Um, I guess through the NT over the weekend, we've had more of a focus around those central districts.
1: Yeah, it's the Barkly in the centre. That's the big story, isn't
0: it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, it has been a bit hit and miss in terms of where the rain has fallen. Um, obviously, we've had flooding over a number of areas with a number of roads being um, affected, Um, but some of those rainfall figures that we're actually seeing is not reflecting of perhaps some of the more widespread areas, but um, just some examples. Um, Birundudu in the um, uh, Gregory District, 119 millimetres. That's Mm. a decent drop for the central parts. Um, Barclay District, Alexandria Downs received 101 millimetres. Wow. Yeah, some um, decent rainfall through those central parts and um, across the weekend as well. Um, Southern districts um, have received um, some reasonable rainfall as well. Alice Springs Airport uh, picking up seventy-nine millimetres. Um, So yeah, a couple of looking at the radar. Looks like it's uh,
1: raining again in Alice as we go to air. Judging by the radar.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, So we haven't seen any thunderstorms developing in that yet, but they're probably not far behind. And we should see some um, higher rainfall totals once we do start to see some storms. Mm -hmm. So that area, particularly um, just to the west of Alice Springs, is probably the most favoured area today. Um, We've got a trough that's currently sitting... Over the southern Tanami district, um, poking into the the Simpson district as well. So south of that trough, uh, we're expecting to see those high rainfall totals, um, and that is expected to continue the next couple of days with that trough remaining in that area um, through until Wednesday, when it will start to uh, start to move a bit further north.
1: And hence why we've got a flood watch in place for. For a lot of the southern end of the Northern Territory
0: yeah that's right so um, flood watch for those southern areas are expecting um, potential rainfall totals up to 100 millimetres in some places um, just with storms if they keep uh, persisting over that same kind of area um, yeah we could see some some higher rainfall totals through there
1: Uh, Also in terms of warnings, there's one out this afternoon, severe weather warning for damaging winds for people in the Daly, Tiwi, parts of Arnhem and Gregory districts. What's that system doing?
0: Yeah, so that's due to a low that tracked across those central districts across the weekend. It's now sitting in the Kimberley and deepening. So with that low starting to strengthen, we're seeing the westerly monsoon winds across the Timor Sea really start to pick up in strength. Um, so we also have marine wind warnings um, off the west coast and northwest coast of the top end. Um, but as you said, we've got that severe weather warning that's bringing in some squally monsoonal conditions. Um, we're not seeing as much rain in those because they are moving quite quickly, but it's just the potential for damaging winds when those squalls do come through. Um, we did have a, a line move through the Darwin area and then out into the rural area um, a couple of hours ago that um, certainly on radar looks like it was definitely packing some punch. Um, I've got a text
1: here from Alan who says, one of my daughters lives in Palmerston and says the wind is blowing a gale. Can you ask the Bureau if they've got any idea on wind speeds and gusts? Do you have a number?
0: So we haven't actually um, seen any severe gusts recorded, um, which is quite surprising considering what we've seen on the radar and I guess that verified on the ground um, by the Your listeners out there, Um, but yeah, certainly um, seeing some potential uh, for having those wind gusts up to about 100 kilometres per hour is um, possible.
1: Yep. Another question from someone wanting to know if there's any more rain forecast for South Australia's far north.
0: Yeah, um, so with the system, that trough that I mentioned um, across the south the next couple of days, that is also extending into South Australia. So those northern parts are expecting to see a high amount of rainfall as well um, just the next couple of days. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, unfortunately, and um, they do have a severe weather warning as well current for the northern parts of uh, SA at the moment.
1: So as we get into a new week, anything else that we should be aware of for the next five days?
0: Yeah, just um, so, yeah, potential for flooding um, with the heavy rainfall in the south. So just, yeah, be careful on the roads. Um, Don't try to do anything silly. Um, And, yeah, the winds in the north expecting to persist tomorrow, probably easing from about midweek.
1: Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time, Beck. Lots going on.
0: No worries. Thanks, Matt.
1: That's Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau on tomorrow's Country Hour, which will be the 1st of February. Can you believe it? Uh, we'll be joined by a long-range weather forecaster to give us a sense on what's left in this year's wet season. So that'll be on tomorrow's program. I hope you can join us for that. Of all this rain, there is, of course, a lot of roads out of action in the Northern Territory. As we started the program... Today we've got a little message from the Department of Infrastructure telling us that the Barclay Highway... It is open, but motorists are advised to proceed with caution for the entirety of that highway due to water over the road. The floodway crossing near Sedan Station is currently only open to high-clearance four-wheel drives. The Central Arnhem Road, well, it's closed at Waterhouse Creek near Beswick. Buntyne Highway is closed at Campfield River. Plenty Highway is closed between the end of the Sealed section and the Queensland border. The Sandover Highway is closed between Elkidra Road intersection to the Queensland border. And, of course, the Stuart Highway is still closed in that section of South Australia between Glendambo and Coober Pedy. Earlier on, when we spoke to Louise Bellardo about potential opening dates, reopening dates, well, she wasn't too sure, was she? And uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Our text number at the country, 0487-991057. Got one here from Alex. G'day there, mate. He says, uh, it's just started to rain Here in Alice Springs, as I type you this text message, most of the rain at my place has been fairly gentle and steady, soaking into the ground, the best kind, says Alex. But thinking ahead when conditions inevitably dry out again, We face the prospect of one of the biggest fire risks across a wide area that we have faced in a decade, says Alex. There's going to be a lot of mitigation work needed to be done in preparation for those conditions later in the year, says Alex on 0487 991057.
11: Hello, I'm Dennis Curnock, and I'm the manager of White River Beef, and I like nothing better than sitting down lunchtime listening to Matty Brandt on The Country Air.
1: And it's good to be back. There's plenty going on. Have you heard this? Another Australian abattoir has been banned from exporting beef to China. The company Tease has been informed by Chinese authorities that its Naracourt plant, which has been battling through a major COVID outbreak, well, it's now been suspended from exporting to that nation. So this is the Naracourt plant in South Australia. Warwick Long is speaking to Simon Quilty. An analyst with Global Agri Trends about this situation.
2: Late on Friday night, the GACC of China, which is the General Administration of Customs of China, issued a notice saying that the Tees Cargill Narakut plant had, had its license suspended to China, which, as a result of that, they will not be accepting shipments from that plant after January the
6: 29th. Now, just for context, can you tell us about the teas plant at Narocourt, how big it is and and how much of a blow that could be?
2: So the teas plant is around about 500 to 600 head per day uh, and beef only. In terms of the overall percentage of the trade into China, it's pretty small. It makes up around 5% of the total trade. And I think just to put that into context that this delisting is one of 138 that has occurred globally around the world since the middle of 2020, Warwick.
6: Tease has uh, acknowledged the suspension and released a statement saying, and I'll quote Tease, Australia confirms its narrow court processing facility has been temporarily suspended from export to China. The official notification does not provide a specific reason for the suspension, which is normal practice. Simon, so, mean, you just said it's, it's part of a, a wider global list of suspended abattoirs, a, a substantial amount of that, from uh, including many other Australian abattoirs as well. Does the market know what the reason would be for this suspension from China? Warwick,
2: it really is a matter of trial by media. So we know that in mid-January that that plant with tees that there was some publicity around it regarding supply chain issues with within you know the um the current environment of um you know what we're all going through in terms of reduced labor etc
6: so the covid so, pandemic impacting its its workforce
2: that's right and so what we've ended up here is as I said, trial by media. So 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 Chinese
6: authorities uh, are reading media reports of of some cases in in abattoirs and deciding to ban arbitrarily there. Does that mean that the meat industry won't be keen on publicising when cases are in Australian abattoirs in future?
2: I think there is an important need to manage that, and it's not just Australia. Right across the world, you know, the meat industry in all countries have realised that it's trial by media. And this is the ninth plant in Australia to have lost its licence. Um, the Only the third one, though, related to this type of uh, suspension. The other six or so have been due to technical reasons, such as um, poor paperwork or very, very minor details that you know, probably does have a political bias towards that in terms of Australia's relations. But in this situation, it's almost as if an arm of of the Chinese government is acting independently. And what's interesting to note, when we spoke of those global delistings, 138 has occurred since the middle of 2020. But the rate of delistings has actually fallen dramatically in the last six months. So, six months ago, there were 11 plants per month on average globally being delisted, and now it sits at four. And I would like to say that within six months, this policy by GACC will be almost obsolete. The World Health Organization continues to say there are no known cases of anyone contracting COVID from food or food packaging. And that is the heart of this, what I would say, becoming quickly an obsolete policy by China. And to me, you know, within six to 12 months, we won't even be talking about this. I think that unfortunately, due to the media attention that was given during the middle of January, that we saw, you know, it was almost as if they couldn't ignore it. And I just think it's unfortunate that due to trial by media, that teas have been caught up in this situation.
1: That's analyst Simon Quilty from Global Agri Trends speaking to Warwick Long. The news out today is that teas has had its abattoir at Narra Court suspended from exporting beef to China. You can read more about this online right now if you search for ABC Rural. Over the years, there's been plenty of Northern Territory cattle end up in that plant. Another one bites the dust there when it comes to trade with China. As I said, you can read all about it up on our ABC Rural website. It is 21 past one here on the Country Hour. It's a very exciting time of year for our Northern Territory crocodile farms. I'll take you to one near Darwin. After this tune by the Pigrams. Right across the Territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. Good to have you here on a Monday lunchtime. Earlier on, we were talking about Crown Point Pastoral. Buying a lot of country in South Australia, the Territory, and also the Kimberley region of WA. Well, James Wagstaff, who's a journalist with the Weekly Times, he's got out the calculator. He now estimates that Viv Oldfield and Donnie Costello, who own Crown Point Pastoral, uh, he now says that the two of them now own more cattle country in Australia than any other company. Their um, whole lot of holdings now is in the millions and millions of hectares. So, Viv Oldfield and Donny Costello, big landowners here at the Country Hour. We have invited Viv to come on to the Country Hour, and hopefully, we'll keep our fingers crossed, hopefully, we might get to hear from him in the next week or so. Now, it is a busy, busy time for crocodile farms in Northern Australia. As baby crocs begin to hatch from their eggs, I went along to Crocodiles Park to see some of the farm's first arrivals for
8: 2022.
3: Alright, so my name's Peyton and I'm from Crocodiles Park. Um, so what we've got going on here, we've got our one of our first arrivals, our second nest of the year. Um, So this is R2, it's from our river system out the back. Um, We've roughly got about 40 to about 45 crocodiles here at the moment. So they've just come out of the eggs yesterday and we've still got a couple coming out of the eggs now.
1: Now these ones here in front of us, yes, they've, they've literally just come out of the eggs. Can you tell us a little bit about the, is it a tooth on the nose?
3: Yeah, so they've got a little sharp point on the nose. It's yeah, like a little tooth, and that's what they use to break through the egg because eggs are quite hard, and these guys are quite small. They don't have a lot of power, so that tooth is very, very sharp. So we do have to be very, very careful if we are hatching these guys because we can cut ourselves on that little tooth because it's extremely sharp. <laughs> and as for the other teeth, the real teeth, how sharp are they? Oh, they're like little needles at the moment, um, but thankfully they don't have a lot of jaw power. So if they do bite you, yeah, it doesn't really hurt.
1: And so, I mean, this is an exciting time for croc farms. Little babies coming out of their eggs. What sort of season is it like this year? Uh, it's a pretty
3: average season. It's not a lot of eggs. It's not um, really bad eggs or anything like that. It's pretty consistent. Um, nothing really special to write home about. It's just pretty
1: average year. An average wet season and hence an average crocodile hatching season. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What are you hearing from the guys who head out bush and collect eggs? What are their stories at the moment?
3: Um, So they're actually had a bit of a late season going out. Um, So they're still getting eggs now, whether we're in the park almost pretty much finished. Uh, But they're still going out and getting pretty decent eggs. Um, But yeah, same thing, nothing to write home about. These little ones in front of us, tell us their story from here on. Right, so they got laid by a little girl that we call Einstein out in our river system and she's a pretty cheeky girl and these guys are pretty cheeky babies climbing all over the place. Um, So Einstein was actually our second female to lay this year and that was out in our our man-made river system. Uh, So she laid right on a little peninsula so we had to have about four people with guarding oars protecting our one person nesting.
1: Einstein must be a clever croc, surely.
3: Oh, she is very clever. She's a very cheeky girl. She sits behind our motors on the boat, and because the vibrations of the motors va- mask her vibrations, no other crocodile knows she's there. So she follows around the whole river, sneaking into all the other girls' territories. Okay. Uh, these crocs are currently in a in a sink in front of us, but uh, where to next for them? Ah, uh, so these guys pretty soon. So we'll go through processing them and grade them, and then these guys are off to a hatchery down the back until um, they get big, uh, really big. And then we'll go from there.
1: And of course, the skins are the main game. At this early stage of life, can you look at any of these and go, oh, oh,
3: that one could be worth a few dollars in years to come? Yeah, so that's actually determined by the um, how much yoke they've absorbed yet. So you can see right. we've got a little scale down there that tells you if they've absorbed a lot of yoke or not. And usually the first two, the normal um, ones and all that, they've absorbed a lot of yoke, um, and that means they're going to pr- probably be an A-grade skin. So a Louis, Louis Vuitton handbag. Wow. And that a lot of that can be determined in the in the first few moments of life. Yeah, it can pretty much wow. straight away. Wow. So that's why it's very important that we do get our um, nest temperatures right, and we have our incubator right, and everything like that, because all that affects how much um when they're born, how much of yolk they're going to soak in, and how good of hatchling and skin
1: they're going to be. Now, just finally, this is the first time I've met you at Crocodiles Park, Payton. Uh, in previous times I've been here, it seems everyone's got a story of. Of a near miss, or maybe copying a, a, a nip. What's your story? Uh, well, I've got a
3: bit too many. Um, <laughs> uh, one of me very close calls when we were nest collecting, um, and I had we had Kulpinya pop up, and he came popped up, came right back down. And for our audience, this is one of the biggest crocs on the park. The biggest crocodile we have here. So he popped himself up then went straight back down and then charged straight out the water trying to kill us all. So luckily we had a really good fella on and he was keeping an eye on us and he got us all safely back in the boat. How was the heart? Um, It was about three feet out of my chest. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, thank you for sharing uh, this moment with our audience today. The little baby crocs are out and about. Thanks for your time on the Country Hour. No worries. Have a good one. Yeah, big thanks to Peyton Prosser, who is from Crocadillas Park, looking after all of those new baby crocs hatching from their eggs. That's all we've got time for on today's Country Hour. If you missed our chat earlier on with Louise Bellato, giving us the latest information on roads opening and trucks getting food into the Northern Territory, that'll be on our podcast later on this afternoon. Keep it rural.